Welcome back to another edition of the Edge Podcast. Publisher Brendan Slaughter here for BeaversEdge.com. Joined by Beavers Edge recruiting analyst Dylan Callahan Crowley as we're back here coming to you guys uh, following uh, some more Oregon State news on the recruiting trail. Uh, we got lots of stuff to get into, but want to uh, first say I hope everyone here in the uh, greater Oregon area is doing a good job de-thawing today as Dylan and I are recording this on a Wednesday. Uh, we've definitely uh, experienced some weather here uh, in the uh, Pacific Northwest, Dylan this week and basically from Eugene upwards uh all the fine folks in Corvallis watching this pod hope you guys are dethawing too uh but yeah we got hit with quite a bit of wet quite a bit of weather this weekend and uh it's been a hunker down kind of a thing I haven't uh had the ability to uh, depart the house for a few days but nevertheless man excited to talk with you the beavers have been hot on the recruiting trail despite the cold temperatures so we got a ton to get into and a couple other news and notes to talk about as well but I want to welcome on Dylan uh Dylan how you doing my man good to talk with you uh good to be back uh on the pod with you yeah, doing well. Can't really complain. A little bit of weather out here, but uh, yeah, I, I think everybody got a good chunk of that cold weather over the last couple yeah. of days uh, across the United States. Uh, I mean, I, I know it definitely played a factor in um, DJ uh, Westlock's recruitment. Yeah, over the last uh, few days, uh, he he uh, had to push his official visit back to Friday because of the weather, and then Friday. He told me he was uh, able to get in, but barely because nice. of the weather. Nice. So, uh, yeah, the weather is definitely affecting us all. Uh, unfortunately, more some more than others, but uh, yeah, hopefully everybody listening has their power back or gets their power back soon, and uh, is definitely thawing out uh, from this weather. Oh yeah, and I must say, like I was very lucky, knock on wood here, to uh, to to keep power, Dylan. But you know, I've heard stories of some folks who have been, you know, without power for you know four to five days, and you know, I, I understand if you live, you know, perhaps you know maybe more in a more rural area, like it's it's common for you to have generators or you know other things that can help you, you know, keep things going. But you know, I, I know a lot of folks in the city here around the area that have been without power for a few days now, and you know, with the electronic device world we live in now. Dylan losing power even if you got batteries batteries gonna drain like th that's that, that you know everything else aside like it's it's the technology where it starts to hurt these days you know especially with you know sure. NFL football on over the weekend and everything else but uh, again hope you all are doing well appreciate you joining us here on the edge podcast uh, let's get right into it Dylan like I said we got a few news and notes to talk about uh, obviously right off the bat we're uh, uh, Oregon State we come to you after the Beavers got uh, two more transfers two more high level transfers arguably maybe the two biggest names and biggest like star power uh, guys via the portal and Michigan wide receiver Darius Clemens, the uh, Westview native uh, just outside of Portland ended up coming home. Uh, he joins the Beavers this year. Uh, and then uh, obviously Dylan mentioned uh, DJ Westlock, you know, being able to get in, I mean, it's it's hard to know if he would have committed if he didn't get that visit in. So we'll obviously be able to talk about that impact and and, and all that. But uh, one thing I wanted to mention as well before we uh, dive into the two uh, commitments, Dylan, is uh, Trembury made a few more hires uh, in the last couple of days. Uh, J.R. Mawalo become, uh, returns to uh, now be the director of recruiting, mm -hmm. someone you and I will be working uh, very close with. Uh, hired him away from Oregon, so always nice to bring someone back from Oregon. I remember when he departed a couple of years ago, uh, definitely really well connected uh, in his uh, role. So very excited to see what he's going to do. Um, Madison Sweezy is now the director of football administration for Trent Bray uh, coming on and joining. And then uh, Marco Candido is being uh, um, 
elevated, excuse me, I was looking for the right word there, uh, to the lead strength and conditioning coach uh, with Mike McDonald having uh, obviously left with Jonathan Smith. Uh, I thought that was a, uh, you know, obviously those are not hires that are going to, you know, be front page news or anything, Dylan, but, you know, just for, for those who maybe don't quite understand, you know, obviously, you know, football operations, that's a very administrative role, but to Candido, like just kind of explain how important a director of recruiting is. And then obviously uh, just to add before I lead you into that is, you know, I, I truly think football games are, won and lost, you know, in the trenches and in a place like Oregon State where you are taking chances on guys who are maybe, you know, undersized that you're hoping to develop, add some weight onto and grow them into kind of the playmakers you want them to be. Your strength and conditioning program is vitally important. And again, you know, while Jonathan Smith obviously took some staffers and left, like that was not one where you're like, oh, bummer, you know, you took like, you know, he took the strength and conditioning coach, but it's bigger than you think. So I think elevating Marco Candido and just bring, he was obviously the assistant under Mike McDonald and kind of continuing what they did because, um, yeah, like it's, it's super underrated for the strength and conditioning, but I'm curious your thoughts, Dylan, on the director of recruiting, give us a little bit more insight there. Uh, how big of a hire was it for Trent Bray to take him away a from Oregon, which, you know, has, potentially and i'm potentially they have more resources than oregon state so yeah. being able to bring him to corvallis uh and then obviously a guy with deep ties to you know the alumni base and and what have you how how big of a hire was that yeah no that's a big hire. anytime you can hire a guy away from the ducks right uh that's a big one and and it is a big one for uh the beeves uh and director recruiting you know it's one of those things like what what actually does director of recruiting do um right. but um you know, they're not going to be the first guys that prospects are talking to necessarily, but they, they do serve as another, you know, guy to talk to for these prospects. But beyond that, these are the guys that really make everything when it comes to a, a recruiting, a recruitment, a recruiting cycle. Sure. Go. They're going to be the liaison between uh, the academic side and the football side of things. They make sure that, you know, they got all the transcripts for every pro prospect, make sure they're going to be able to get into the university. They comply with NCA uh, guidelines, all that. They they help schedule the official visits or visits in general. If, you know, if it's an official visit, they help set up um, the air the airfare, hotels, whatever it may be. They act as the, uh, you know, they, they set up the travel for each of the coaches and so on and so forth. Sure. So they're really they're the they're the hero of really an, an entire recruiting operation. They do all the small things, making sure everything runs smoothly. But they also do serve as a point of contact for recruits. Maybe not a you know they're not going to be a lead recruiter. They're not going to be a secondary recruiter, but they're going to serve as a point of contact. Somebody else that can you know get in the year and make sure the recruit is uh, having a good time being recruited by their program, sure. having good visits, so forth and so on. But yeah, it's a big visit. Uh, he obviously, um, he's been doing a really good job up there with the ducks, but, mm -hmm. uh, the beeves now got to keep him, uh, well, get to bring him back to Corvallis, which is a huge win for them on the operations side of things. Definitely. And, and obviously, you know, like, like we mentioned, like, again, not, not those hires that are going to be front page news, but again, some, some very, you know, moves that have to be made. And, you know, I, I've seen, 
let me put it this way. I've seen, you know, good strength and conditioning coaches. I've been a part of some who I thought were, were subpar, you know, going back to an earlier era before Jonathan Smith. And, you know, I've yeah. seen, you know, operations people not work out and you know like those moves do matter so again i think yeah. it's it's definitely uh important to keep an eye on but again just want to mention that first as uh trent Bray obviously announced those hires uh yesterday oregon state's uh, staff is beginning uh to st- take shape i mean uh obviously dylan as i recall there may be one uh open staff uh position left on the staff as we currently know we've heard uh at this point that we do we do not expect uh jake cookus to be back on staff this year so uh, this next year so it's going to be interesting to see ultimately who handles special teams coordinator duties because right now we yeah. haven't seen that specifically announced so uh and, and i i don't have the list in front of me but i believe they have one um, staffer position left, uh, if if that is the case. So something to uh, you know potentially keep an eye on uh, moving forward for Oregon State. But again, we had heard uh, a few tidbits that you know Jake Cookus would not most likely be here this next year. Uh, Dylan, does that surprise you, or is it just kind of the way that it ultimately the 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 way that it you know the cookie crumbled, so to speak? Yeah, yeah. I think it's just the way the cookie crumbles. I mean. Um... I mean, you, you got to watch the bees a little bit closer, uh, special teams wise, than I have. But sure, uh, you know, it's just, I, I think it, it could be a point of preference for Trent Bray. Maybe there are some things that he just didn't like what he saw of the special teams unit. Uh, perhaps uh, there's stuff beyond that. But yeah, I think it's just the way the cookie crumbles, and they'll have to go out and find a new uh, special teams coordinator um, slash safeties coach here. Right uh, with with Cookies uh, gone. Right. I think, you know, with that, you know, to an extent, like I said, we haven't heard anything finality, just kind of some rumors that that's probably what's what things are leaning towards. And, you know, going back to Trent Bray, perhaps he doesn't want a coach who is only special teams. I mean, we talked, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Dylan, I believe uh, Thomas Ford, who just came in as the running backs coach, did some special teams work at Idaho, too. Uh, again, don't quote me on that. Uh, you know, just trying to remember off the top of my head. But uh, all that to say, you know, some coaches like to have, you know, a position coach work that into what they do. Um, you know, obviously, Jonathan Smith liked having a dedicated special teams coordinator. So yeah. you only get so many coaches um, at the yep. collegiate level. So I think that's time. yeah. So I think that's certainly a something to watch you know moving forward but again just the last thing we kind of wanted to mention as far as yeah. personnel but uh obviously to the good stuff as they say dylan yeah and, and i i would quickly add I, I would quickly add they are at nine uh on the field position coaches in so far um so that 10th coach uh will have to be the special teams coordinator and safeties coach um going forward as well uh with uh, anthony perkins obviously being the quarterbacks coach but He's their only coach in the secondary right now. And right. very rarely do you see the cornerbacks coach also serve as safeties coach. But uh, uh, unless uh, Keith Hayward is also going to add that to his uh, pile, of, pile that, uh, they'll, need, a, they, they'll that, need to find a safeties coach somewhere here. Right. That's a good point. I mean, considering that, you know, like you said, like Keith Hayward being a cornerback and originally being a defensive backs coach, that's where obviously he made his he made his mark as an assistant. That that that's intriguing. But like you said, the fact that Anthony Perkins already holds that title of specific cornerbacks coach, uh, that'll be something to watch for sure. But uh, again, make sure to stay locked BeaversEdge.com as Dylan and I have mentioned. We we will keep you guys up to date on the damn board with all that stuff. Uh, the damn board is the place to be. We can say we got all kinds of updates and anything that happens, we post it there. So make sure to definitely check that out. Uh, Dylan, speaking of the damn board, 
if you were on the damn board, you knew these two big fish were coming and you knew they were hook, line and sinker. They weren't quite up to the boat yet, but they were close. And, you know, you you kind of hinted at me this weekend when we were talking and, you know, we obviously told Beaver's Edge subscribers these were two names to keep an eye on. Uh, let's go ahead and start with the first guy to commit. Uh, that's Michigan wide receiver Darius Clemens, the six foot three, 212 pounder, uh, returns home, Dylan. Uh, Portland, Oregon native, went to Westview uh, just right, right up here the road from me. And uh, obviously, I remember his recruitment very well, and he was one of those guys that, again, we've talked about this a lot, Dylan. I mean, so many different guys that we've talked to about with this specific mold. Like, some of the guys in the transfer portal, you're like, that Oregon State's got, they're like, okay, you know, they could have recruited these guys out of high school. Maybe they wanted to. You know, maybe they didn't for whatever reason. But, like, there are some guys, I go back to DJU last year, I go back to, you know, now Darius Clement, to an extent, maybe even uh, DJ Westlock, who we'll talk about a little bit with his massive offer sheet. Um, Dylan, uh, you know, is it a stretch to say that, I mean, I remember this being open and shut really quickly that, like, Clemens was going to be too good for Oregon State uh, coming out, you know, in 2022, obviously a four-star ranked as the 17th best position recruit in the country. But nevertheless, Coach Henson kept that relationship with him and, you know, is able to ultimately uh, bring him back to the state of Oregon. What do you think the key was here? And we'll talk about it in a bigger picture connotation shortly with the Beavers kind of getting some more marquee guys than we expect. But like, if you would have told me, you know, at Trent Bray's press conference that in mid-January, they'd have a four-star receiver decommit from Michigan, well, not decommit, excuse me, transfer out of Michigan and return, I'd be like, the 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 Oregon State that still doesn't have a finalized schedule yet? Again, at the time. So I, I, I just, I, I think this is like, am I making a mountain out of a molehill or is this as impressive as a get as it seems uh, from the surface? Because again, going back to 2022, it, it really seemed like he had some high level suitors who were chasing him and Oregon state wasn't really in the mix. I mean, they had an, he had an offer of course. Yeah. I mean, sometimes this is just kind of how uh, these things end up going, right? Some kids end up going uh, far from home or go, going away from home and uh, things don't work out. And then when it's time to kind of change things back up, uh, they decide to return either to home or closer home and for, um, Clemens, that is Oregon State. Uh, you know, he was he was a highly touted prospect. I believe he was the top 100 player here on Rivals coming out of five schools. Um, the Michigan, I knew it was very high on him. I had a lot of hope for him, but it just unfortunately for him at Michigan never clicked uh, altogether. And sometimes that happens, and that doesn't mean he's a a bust or it's not going to click for him at Oregon State. But sometimes a change of scenery is what needed, uh, or a change of scenery, a change of offensive philosophy, whatever it may be. And now he's going to be able to come back closer home, maybe a little bit more comfortable being closer home and have that chance to reach that potential that he wasn't able to uh, get to at Michigan. Uh, I think it's a big pickup for the Beavers, somebody who be, should be able to step into that wide receiver room and be an impact player in terms of having a key role from you know, day one, as long as, you know, he he is able to meet expectations and, you know, doesn't get passed up on the depth chart, which I don't foresee happening. Right. But as long as he's able to come in and 
meet the expectations that the Beavers do have, I fully expect him to be able to make an impact on the field next year. Right. And obviously, you know, he comes in, you know, six foot three, 212 pounds. Uh, I believe that's as, as, um, as tall as, you know, Jeremiah Noga, I think checks in six, two, maybe six, three, don't have that list right in front of me, but you know, immediately Dylan, like for me, there's no question. He is the tallest and probably most talented receiver Oregon State's had since Isaiah Hodgins as far as like having a big play target obviously Isaiah Hodgins now for you know the New York Giants carving out a nice role for himself but you know he was six foot five so even bigger than that six foot four um but I just think you know Oregon State's had some smaller playmakers in recent seasons at receiver not to say those guys weren't great you know obviously you know Silas Bolden is valued he ended up at Texas folks like that's you know, it, it is what it is, but like, that's not to say that like having, you know, shorter receivers is a bad thing. And Anthony Gould declared for the draft. But if there was one area, Dylan, where I, you look at Oregon State's receiving core, you obviously did the, you know, starters as recruit story throughout the year, kind of looking at Oregon State's receivers versus others. There wasn't that tall guy where you could say, I'm going to go throw you this, yeah. go up and make a play and get it. I think Clemens could be that guy. You know what I mean? Yeah, they didn't have that that tall, big body guy who you can rely on to. I guess Jack Velling to tight end to an yeah, extent, yeah. but at the but, receiver specifically, yeah, exactly. You don't have that red zone, big body red zone threat out wide. You don't have that guy you can trust to go up and get most fifty fifty balls, right? And 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 as and such, uh, and I think Columbus is going to have the opportunities to fulfill those roles and that could mean he could carve out quite a big role for the beavers uh next season right and again like you said you know obviously his his like you know we we included it in the story we wrote at beaversedge.com you know his most notable moment was a big catch he made you know a michigan spring game a couple years back he didn't really get onto the field a ton with michigan but considering where they just played folks and how many games they've won the last two years. They've had some elite talent and probably some elite talent in front of him. So I, again, as Dylan said, uh, this guy is nowhere close to, you know, bus status or anything like that. It's just, it didn't quite work out for him at Michigan and uh, Oregon state landed a steal. Like this is a huge, huge pickup for them and not one to be taken lightly. Again, just going back, Dylan, I mean, that offer sheet is impressive. I mean, you know, obviously committed to Michigan, but you know, uh, everybody from, you know, Oregon to Notre Dame to Washington to USC. I mean, everybody, uh, def, you know, that was interested in a receiver was interested in Clemens. So that's obviously a huge pickup uh, for Kefense Hinson, Trent Bray and Ryan Gunderson and the staff uh, transitioning over to the second commitment that they got and uh, definitely can't uh, sleep on uh, this one either, Dylan. Like Darius Clemens was obviously like, you know, give yourself an attaboy and a high five if you're Oregon State. And I'm sure Oregon State fans were really happy to have a uh, receiver, you know, coming into the fold with that much talent. But DJ Westlock, a defensive end, figures to be more of a defensive end kind of hybrid edge rusher for the Beavers at his size. The former Missouri transfer or the former Missouri Tiger uh, transferred after not really seeing the field a whole lot during his uh, two years. Played a little bit during his redshirt season, but did not see action this last year. Uh, Dylan, another guy we were able to let people know about on the damn board uh, ahead of time that we thought this was happening. So kudos to you and all of our staff for being able to uh, be on top of that. What do you like most about Westlock? And do you think he's someone who can kind of come in and be 
you know, or as I see now in his commitment graphic, Oregon State has him listed as an outside linebacker. So I expect yeah. him to kind of play that Sione Lolo Hea kind of role this year. Um, if he's good, you know, able to kind of get onto the field right away. Obviously, a four-star coming out of high school, and just like Clemens, a ton of offers. I, I admittedly don't know a ton about him. Dylan, what, what what was kind of the story as to why you think he didn't play at, at Missouri? And then I think you kind of have to say that in some way, um, uh, Jabari Johnson was probably a factor in this recruitment, given that, you know, they both came from Missouri. No, yeah, I think Jabari Johnson having that connection definitely helped um, Oregon State here land, land Westlock. Uh, I'm sure he, you know, talked to Gabari throughout this recruitment and asked him his thoughts on Oregon State and what he liked about Oregon State, what made him want to sure. come to Corvallis. Um, yeah, Westlock, it's interesting of why he didn't get to get on the field for Missouri uh, over these last what he was a 22 signing so last two years yeah and i think part of it is, i i haven't i have not been able to fully read into or ask around why sure. yet but I, sometimes it, it just happens that these kids some kids develop slower than others and uh some may get lost in you know in between positions depending on a defensive philosophy how a, a program wants to run their defense and you know you look at it, he's 6'4 250 he's very much in that kind of tweener range where he could play a linebacker he could play mm -hmm. a defensive end he could play a hybrid type role uh, for some programs that's harder to find a fit for guys than others uh, but I think Oregon State has a pretty confident idea of what they're going to ask him to do coming into uh, Corvallis here uh, in the near future Absolutely. And I think, you know, kind of just going on, going off of that, I mean, you know, I, you, you mentioned it yesterday, Dylan, and kind of, you know, obviously in a, in a more broad sense with the class as a whole, you tweeted out kind of a, um, a list of everyone that Oregon State had got via yeah. the transfer portal. And, you know, we've actually, you know, seen that talent for talent and looking at stars, you could argue Trent Brace put together as good of a roster as, you know, Jonathan Smith did in his time in Corvallis. Like, at least on paper, it all has to be put together. But, you know, I I'm, I'm just want to be taken back. I'm pleasantly surprised at how well they've been able to get guys via the transfer portal and even in recruiting. Obviously, the 2024 recruiting class, the high school one, Dylan and I have talked about it. We call it the money ball class for obvious reasons and the fact that we think it is, you know, high upside, more developmental guys. But the transfer portal specifically, there are some guys, Dylan, that, that I'm not going to say I'm surprised, but like just pleasantly you know, not again, not surprised, but just like pleasantly like thought thought provoking that like, hmm, interesting. Like I'm surprised they were able to grab some of these guys considering how highly recruited they were out of high school. And I think to that, that kind of should quell any fears that Oregon State fans had, you know, of Oregon State kind of falling into, you know, the ethos, so to speak, in, in recruiting. I think back to you know, the podcast that you and me and Ryan and TJ did, you know, shortly after Jonathan Smith left. And, you know, we were kind of talking about, you know, what could the damage be and kind of a thing like what's Oregon State's future going to be on the recruiting trail? And, you know, could it mean bad news? The fact that the future is uncertain, the fact that, you know, the schedule's still not entirely set. We have opponents, but still not dates, all these yeah. things. And 
Trent Bray and his staff have like quietly gone together and built a really good roster, at least on paper. It all has to come together. Um, but you know, it is I'm pleasantly surprised with how much more optimism there is right now than I thought there would be at this point. Is that fair, Dylan? Yeah, I, I think so. I and I think bread and butter the, the bread and butter. I think the bed bread and butter for Oregon State recruiting is still gonna be the high school classes, but I think Oregon State is one of those programs that is going to look to keep sustained success through the transfer portal by offering course. offering these opportunities for some of these guys that may not have, you know, panned out at other places to say, you know, hey, come here, get a fresh start, get on the field, um, and we'll help develop you, help develop, get you to where you want to be. Oregon State the last few years has definitely increased their ability to develop players into NFL athletes, and that comes down to coaching, that comes down to strength conditioning. Um, they've done a really good job of that. I think that's what they've been selling here is, yes, a lot of that coaching staff has moved on, but a lot of the guys still remain, uh, including Trent Bray, who's you know been a key part of the success over the last few years, especially offside on defense, especially. They got a lot of high upside guys here in this class. A lot of guys that are going to – this transport class, a lot of guys are going to be able to – make an impact right away. And then they got a couple guys who maybe are a little bit more death pieces, but you you need both. And finding that fine balance uh, is is key for any program. And I think Trent Bray and his staff has found a really good balance with that. You got Gabari Johnson, Van Wells, Nick Norris, Anthony Hankerson, uh, Gerard, Christian Lichtenhan, uh, that all should make, you know, instant impacts. Or Giovanni McCoy, if it's not Gabari Johnson. Um but then you have guys like, oh, and DJ Westlock. But then you have guys like um, Asai Vadrali, Ty, Ty mm-hmm. G. Hill, sure. uh, Mason White, that are more of developmental guys. And you could throw Kobe Singleton, obviously, and Darius Clements into those high-impact uh, right-away guys. But, uh, yeah, I definitely think they have put together a really good class. It's going to allow them to be very competitive next year and probably win – uh, I still think this is a team that could win nine games at least next season. Right. And, and again, that's, that's despite the schedule, that's still an impressive thing to project just considering, you know, what Oregon state lost, they lost quite a bit this off season. And again, you, you know, we, we break it down really well with our scholarship distribution chart at beaversedge.com. You guys can kind of see the newcomers versus who's returned. And it's really impressive to kind of look and see how well Trent Bray's kind of been able to restock the cupboards for uh, lack of better terms and uh, you know, so on and so forth. And, you know, uh, with that point, Dylan, I'm very curious and maybe something we'll be able to develop uh, over time at beaversedge.com as we get more uh, Im- information as time goes. I'm curious to talk to a couple of the guys that ended up staying in the recruiting class, more like a um, like a Dexter Foster or a Dylan Sikorsky, and just hearing what the differences were in recruiting pitch between Trent Bray and Jonathan Smith. And I only say that because it, it seems like Trent Bray has been able to find you know, some, some more success with maybe some bigger names recently. And I'm just curious to know, like for someone who had been recruited by Smith and then someone who had been newly recruited by Bray, you know, what that's going to be. So maybe something to keep an eye on, you know, down the line of beaversedge.com as we obviously are in the off season, you know, getting ready for spring football into the summer and then fall camp. Um, Another thing I wanted to mention Dylan, because they, after last time we all talked to Trent Bray, 
at signing day, he said he they wanted to hit transfer portal for quarterback, transfer portal for defensive back, transfer portal for tight end. We think they've addressed defensive or uh, excuse me, addressed quarterback, addressed defensive back, and I think a few other spots on defense too. It's been all quiet and mum on the tight end front, and you know I, I'm curious what your thoughts are there. Obviously, you know John Boyer stepping into that role for Brian Wozniak. Brian Wozniak was obviously you know, really good at what he did. And, you know, he can point to, you know, several guys in the NFL and, you know, Tegan Quatoriano and Luke Musgrave, uh, who are in the NFL, Noah Togiai too. Um, and I, I think that, that, that's why, you know, he was a very important steal, so to speak for the other guy, but I'm curious, Dylan, do you think that they are still, you know, keeping things uh, hot on, you know, any potential tight end, transfers via the portal do you think it could be something that happens after spring ball uh what what are your thoughts there yeah we're entering a very interesting spot here uh just in general with the transfer portal and oregon state's um uh semester beginning uh we're at i'm, I'm guessing that point now where it's if you didn't get in now you you're probably gonna have to wait till the summer which is fine for some guys um but yeah i, I think oregon state uh probably evaluates what they have this spring at tight end, uh, sees what they like, sees what maybe they're, they have more questions about or who they have more questions about. And sure. based off what they they see in the spring, they're going to go and address that need in the transfer portal if needed. Because um, there is still some talent in that Oregon State tight end room. I mean, Jermaine Terry used was a highly recruited guy coming out of high school. Uh, didn't get the opportunity last year, but now – with nobody in front of him, does he take that next step this spring? I do wonder if perhaps they want to see what Terry can provide, but I still think you need to add depth to that position at tight end. Uh, so I would expect them to probably uh, go after somebody in the portal. It's just, are you going after somebody to be a starter? Or are you going after somebody to provide depth? Right. And um, again, as, as Dylan mentioned, you know, Gabe Milborn and Cooper Jensen are the only other two uh, scholarship tight ends in the room. They right now have three, uh, you know, at one point entering this last season, you know, they had, you know, four guys that they thought could play big minutes for big minutes, big snaps for them. Uh, so obviously a little thinner than they'd like to be, but again, uh, more deep at other positions that they weren't such as running back. So we'll see ultimately how the numbers shake out. And again, a lot of people have been asking us, you know, Oregon State's over the scholarship limit right now, based on our numbers, you know, for those who are curious, those numbers don't really have to be finalized until the start of this next season so there's some time it's kind of just a resource tool for us to look at and kind of be able to see how things are ultimately shaking out on paper but uh, nevertheless you know it, it, it's going to be very interesting because you can tell that you know Trent Bray and his staff have been recruiting for what they want things to be. And we'll kind of end the podcast on this note, Dylan, and maybe give us something to lean into for our next podcast is, you know, curious to see and great questions, you know, coming to us on the edge podcast of what the true differences are this year with Oregon state offense and defense, you know, with uh, Trent Bray and obviously Ryan Gunderson on offense and then Keith Hayward on defense, you know, I, I do expect, you know, defensively will be very, very similar. Um, you know, I think Keith Hayward and Trent Bray are going to be in lockstep. And that's something Trent Bray mentioned at his introductory press conference was he was going to have a bigger hand in the defense. And then, you know, for for better or for worse, Dylan, I think we're going to learn a lot about Ryan Gunderson because Trent Bray has kind of said that that's going to be his offense. He will call plays and so on and so forth. Um, if anyone's kind of curious, I think it's going to be a mix of, what he 
did successfully at San Jose State as their passing game coordinator. And then obviously a mix of what he saw work well at UCLA. And I alluded to it uh, in my Jam Griffin story uh, yesterday that UCLA led the Pac-12 in rushing each of the last two years. I, I know we've talked about Oregon State and their rushing prowess. UCLA was number one the last two years, and three years ago they were number two. So that is that that is cons- all three years that Ryan Gutterson was there, nonetheless. So he had a front row seat to Chip Kelly and that offense and how they like to run the ball. So I don't expect Oregon State's offensive identity of being physical, running the ball to change. I think what they asked the quarterback and receivers to do might tweak a little bit, Dylan. That's the that's the one area I look at the whole roster and say. Look for that to see, you know, could we see more read option? Could we see more, you know, bubble passes at the line of scrimmage to get guys in space oh. than we saw? Uh, that That's kind of the oh. thing I would look for. Yeah, almost a little bit more of a speed-oriented offense uh, rather than, um, I don't want to say an aged offense, but uh, I guess the better word described is a little bit more modernized uh, sure. offense of what the Beavers have ran over the last few years. Yeah, it's definitely going to be interesting. And like I said, it will no doubt be different because, again, you have an entirely different offensive staff. I mean, it's, you know, obviously Kefensa Hinson's there, a few others, but like, you know, Jim Mahalchek and Brian Lindgren were kind of the architects of that offense in a lot of ways, and right. both those guys are gone. So, you know, and Smith obviously had his input too. So I'm really excited to see what Ryan Gunderson's ultimately going to do, kind of tweaking the offense. For Beaver fans that are curious what might change, I keep an eye on the offense. That's going to be really intriguing in spring just to see what tweaks are there. But ultimately, Dylan and I have seen – they reloaded the running back position. They obviously are still going to run the ball. The offensive line still needs to be strong running, run blocking. They've addressed that too. So it will be the same, but with some key differences, and like Dylan said, I think modernize and maybe try to get more production out of the offense, uh, particularly maybe as, you know, speed is going to be something to keep an eye on for sure. But nevertheless, uh, that'll go ahead and wrap up this edition of the podcast. Big thanks to Dylan uh, Callahan Crowley for joining me as we broke down, you know, Darius Clemens and DJ Westlock and kind of how things are starting to fit together. Obviously, Oregon State's offseason is coming together uh, quite nicely, and there's definitely a lot of reasons to be optimistic uh, for Oregon State right now. So make sure to stay locked to beaversedge.com. We will continue to bring you guys coverage. Uh, we got an awesome promo going right now, 30 days free. You can go ahead and check that out on our front page uh everything exclusive on uh inside the damn board dylan callahan crowley and i will be bringing you guys all that big shout out to everyone for watching on this edition of the edge podcast this is brendan slaughter signing off